Welcome to the Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas and at least one good story. Episode 117, The Other Side, Labrie, where Ryan demilitarized. There's a place in the English countryside where people go when they're burned out, or when they don't know what to do, or just when they have a question burning inside. Every day, they work and study and live together in community. At lunch, they take turns choosing a topic. There's no internet. There's an extensive library. There are sheep nearby. During the short weekend I spent there, I got to sit down with Ryan and found out that one of his favorite books is the Canterbury Tales, the medieval collection of pilgrims' stories, which surprised me. Just like Chaucer's narrator, I had set about collecting as many stories at Labrie as I could, until, so had I spoken with him every which one, that I was of her fellowship a nun. So, um... I'm going to pull this close just to make sure. So okay. the, the first question is, can you describe what you look like? Um, I have a picture for the audience. So I'm tall, at least by American standards. I'm uh, six foot four. Um, I don't know what that is in centimeters, but... Uh, Must be like 193 yeah. or something. Yeah, 193, not 194. Um, I have uh, blonde hair and uh, blue eyes. I'm currently growing a beard as a rebellion against my... Getting out of the military. Um, they have a, a rebel beard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, I'm half Dutch, so it's it's more of a Amish beard. It's kind of grown out of my my neck, not so much on my on my cheeks. So I've, I've a, I'm tall, blonde with a big black neck beard. So odd looking. How, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like yeah? What do you feel about your look right now? I mean, it's um, very pointed. Yeah, it's, uh, I just, I feel more of an individual right now, um, which which is good. I haven't felt like an individual in a, in a while, uh, just because of the military thing, because I look the same. Um, so yeah, so I've, I've been growing my hair out, and uh, yeah, I've been growing my beard. I don't know how to trim it, so I'm still trying to learn how to <laughs> take care of it. Um, same with my hair, I, I haven't had to comb my hair in eight years, so now figuring out how to comb my hair. <laughs> you know, in a socially acceptable way is, has been interesting, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I guess I feel more like an individual right now. So, yeah. Well, before we pick up on that thread, can you describe where we are right now? Um, we are currently sitting in a manor house in Gretham, England. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're sitting in, that's called the morning room. It's a teal, green room with um, I think it's 17th century beams holding the rest of the three stories above us up um, and uh, there's pictures of flowers and a really strange clock in front of us with a mirror um, an unused uh, sewing machine old crank sewing machine on a wooden on a wooden desk and there's a yeah, there's bookshelves all around us filled with travel books and uh, stories. So, yeah. yeah, that's a great description. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and there's an old guitar too. Yeah, yeah, old guitar in the in the corner. Um, there's a old fireplace as well underneath the clock with a picture of a looks like an American ship. I don't know if there's some symbolism there. But, yeah. You definitely have a literary eye. Oh. <laughs> That's I good. love it. I love it. You know, eventually I hope to go back and write all these encounters. You know, like the Canterbury Tales, and in, you know, invest those little details with some symbolism as appropriate. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be so really cool. It's good that you made a record for me. You're right. the third person I've interviewed in this room. Oh, really? Also Rasmus and June. Okay. And it's interesting to have three different perspectives mm -hmm. of the room. That's, that's cool. What yeah, yeah, out yeah. To the that's really cool. What'd they say? Um, I guess I, I had to prompt Rasmus a little bit, mm -hmm. but then he described the view. Oh, yeah. Even though it was nighttime, mm -hmm. From memory, he describes what he has seen and done in that field, you know, <laughs> which is great. And June, uh, yeah, he, yeah, I don't remember now. Oh, it okay. was like an hour ago. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Well, can you describe the spirit of this place, and we'll get to maybe what drew you here. Okay. Um, so the spirit of Labrie. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of what, almost like what Rasmus was describing, it's, uh, we're all different, we're all, um, yeah, we're all, we're all, I think we're all looking for community, so I think it's, that's, that's the big draw here is, is, uh, is a, a community of people, um, trying to look for other people with open minds that we can talk to and, um, ask questions and, and stuff, uh. Yeah, and then just, uh, I'm sure he described, like, playing volleyball out in the... He did? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, so, like, uh, right outside this window, uh, the volleyball nets, we had to move them because we were destroying the field, but uh, <laughs> we used to, we were playing volleyball um, out there almost every day at, during, uh, what they call tea, tea time, um, so we had tea, and then we'd play volleyball, and uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, some of us barely speak English, some of us... You know, our Americans are from the UK. Um, some, some are from Australia, from New Zealand. We're all playing the same game, um, having the same conversations together. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool place, interesting place. Mm. And so, if I can ask, why were you seeking this community? Um, so, for, for a couple of reasons. Um, it's at a, my, the best man at my wedding, Austin, he's married to this girl named Sonia, and her sister had gone to Swiss Libri, um, and uh, they they'd come and visited visited me in Alaska um, while, I was, while I was living up there, and uh, just I was just kind of describing the military life um, and how I wasn't very I wasn't very satisfied. Um, just it's 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 very. Uh, uh, confining. It's the, the it, they're very specific in what type of personality they want you to have, um, and the the likes and dislikes. Um, and I, I was just describing this to them. And they're, they're, I, I was at the time thinking about whether I should stay in or get out, and um, they both told me I should probably get out. And then Sonia told me about Libri and about how it's uh, it'd be it might be a good place for me to uh, I could demilitarize almost uh, become a civilian again. And uh, um, and then I met uh, my my current wife Hannah a couple months later, um, and she was coming here 
uh, which so that actually sparked. So I'd, I'd heard vaguely about Libri, and she was coming to English Libri. Um, so that, that that was actually our first conversation was about Libri, which is really interesting. Um, wow. Yeah. So we yeah. So we started dating long distance while she was here. Um, so yeah. So Libri's almost been a part of our whole relationship. Um, so when we got married, we and we we knew I was getting out of the army. So we just decided this would be a good place to to come to. So that's why that's why we're here. Wow. Yeah. So what did it feel like on your first day when you arrived? Um, it was strange because I've I'd heard stories about all these people, um, and they'd heard stories about me, and they'd seen. Um, so Hannah and I probably wrote around sixty letters back and forth while she was here, because um, this part of this place is there's no internet, there's no technology, so. Um, yeah, we had to we had to write letters, you know, like the old. What a gift! Yeah, the old. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's <laughs> probably one of the last people to have to do that. I'm sure. Um, um, yeah, so they they'd heard about me. It, I'm sure a few of them had read some of my letters. So like, it was weird, like knowing these people but not knowing them, um, and uh, like still having to go through those awkward stages of like getting to know someone and now but they still we still kind of know each other um so it was a little weird at first but it's it's definitely um i think it's definitely become home now um yeah the last couple months well that's interesting being known before you arrive Mm -hmm. you know going to a place to want to become known Mm -hmm. but you already even have an advantage Mm -hmm. of people knowing you that's yeah. advantage or dis- disadvantage so sure, hopefully sure. It's, hopefully it's an advantage um, <laughs> yeah well i'm curious if we let's back up then okay. and why did you join the military and and how long were you in the military then? um so i i um so i'd wanted to join the army well the military since i was uh six um in colorado there's a big military culture um mostly air force uh there's the, the Air Force Academy in, the, in Colorado Springs. Um, so my original dream was to go to the Air Force Academy, um, and uh, I ended up growing a, like a foot in a year when I was in high school. So mm-hmm. I became too tall to fly airplanes. Oh man! Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> so that that I didn't really want to do like the other jobs in the Air Force. So I started looking at the other branches. Um, so initially, I tried to enlist in the Marines when I was seventeen, and uh, my parents went you need a waiver when you're 17 my parents went and signed the waiver um so they, they told me i should go to i should go to college um like that like that's that'd be the right way so we kind of compromised so I, I ended up getting a rotc scholarship um to uh become an army officer while i was going to like a civilian school um yeah. so i did rotc for four years um and then uh i was active duty for four and a half years mm. wow so, uh, yeah. How did that change you? <laughs> <laughs> um, in more ways than I thought, because I've always been kind of, it's, it's weird. I've always been kind of an individual. So it's strange like, thinking like, why did I join the army? Um, what do you mean by an individual? I tend to like, you mean eccentric? Uh, maybe I, I, I tend to gravitate away from like what most people believe so mm-hmm. i'm um like explore like all right most people are saying um you know this about politics or religion or, or something i try to 
imagine like the other I usually uh, oftentimes tend to go the other way like w- from what other people are thinking and sometimes it's it's kind of annoying because it's like no I'm just trying to be not antagonistic I'm trying to be different you know and I, and even whether it's right or wrong and I, I I've recognized that in myself um so um so I didn't honestly I didn't think the army had changed me at all until I got out and then I've realized I'm um harsher in some ways um so my like my worldview is much harsher it's more of a you know people need to people need to get over themselves and just get get over their problems which is not the right answer uh, i realized that i'd started thinking these things um other other areas uh i don't know i think it i, I think it changed me in some good ways too it's it, it made me more disciplined um so i i i now naturally wake up early i i want to go work out i want to um be active through the day now um it's it, and it um also like the encounter of different um different cultures so i was a platoon leader um and most most of the soldiers in my platoon were um minorities and i, I grew up in rural colorado right it never really um came across too many african-americans or, or um you know latin americans or um so I had um, one guy who was born in Japan. I had another guy who was born in China. Um, I had several um, se- several Hispanics from like Southern California, um, and then I had um, I had uh, two African Americans from Chicago. I had an African American from the Bronx. Um, yeah, and then my my platoon sergeant was actually born in Mexico. Um, he was a Mexican Im- immigrant. Um, so I just a lot of. And then I also had. Um, so he's a 45-year-old uh, white guy from uh, Moscow, Idaho. So I also had, like, the oldest wow. the oldest soldier in, in our squadron. Um, wow. So, like, a, a very diverse. Yeah. And I'm this, like, <laughs> blonde-haired, blue-eyed white guy from rural Colorado. Um, so, it, but, which was really, it was really good for me. Um, well, I'm curious about that process. <laughs> and what a, just serendipity. You wouldn't, I mean as you know someone not in the military i wouldn't picture that happening mm-hmm. that opportunity to expand your horizons within the military mm-hmm. i mean obviously mm-hmm. you're going to other cultures but yeah what what did you go through in that like so it was um it was uh i, I mean it was, it was a very growing time um <clears throat> so it's it's hard to lead people um Especially, so the, the military is weird in that, um, I, I heard it described once, imagine like a corporation where some people start at, at an entry level position, they work their way up to being in charge of a department, but then there's also these, just for the sole fact that they went to college, there's these young 23 year olds who are actually still your boss, even though you've worked 15 years to get up to like a, like a department head they're actually still your boss. They're actually in charge of the department, even though you know everything. And that's that's where I was. I was 23, 23 years old in charge of, um, depending on the time, people rotating through. It's like the most I had was uh, 23 soldiers and the least I had was like 18. Um, so you, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, I've, I've been, you know, in quotes, training for four years, but they, they 
it's almost impossible to train leadership. Um, so learning how to do that plus experiencing all these uh, new cultures was, was pretty was pretty difficult. Um, but it was, it was really good for me. Um, at, it was right at the height of um, the Trayvon Martin case. So yeah. like right in the middle of my platoon later time was when the, the trial was going on with the, the, the police. And uh, and then like the the riots in Ferguson and stuff and uh, yeah one one of the best conversations I had with this um, he's uh, yep specialist Jackson he's the he's the kid from the Bronx um, and he he was just describing his uh, like his 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 growing up experience with the with the police and how he'd just be you know he was he was an upstanding guy he was just he, he wore normal clothes. Like he, he just, the only thing that would distinguish between me and him was that he was, he was African American. And, uh, like the, the police would just stop him on the street and he'd just be walking down the street. They, this, this would happen almost like weekly, you know, just, uh, realizing like how divorced my worldview and my experience was from his, just the color of my skin, color of his skin and where we grew up is just, that, that was really uh, eye-opening to me, and it, it made me really realize um, how little I knew about even just other people in, in, in the country. Uh, it kind of opened my mind to um, other people's struggles and other people's um, identities and stuff. So that, that, was a, that, was a, that was a big moment. And then um, the, I had a, uh, my, another soldier named Lou who he, he was born in China and then emigrated to the United States and uh, just hearing his stories of um, like his Chinese family versus like his mom who was living in S- Seattle um, and just some of his stories of like immigrating and what it was like to learn English and what it was like to like <laughs> you know, struggles I'd, I'd, I'd never even thought of having you know I, it, was, it was really humbling to to meet these 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 young men who uh you know were were trying to improve their lot by by being in the military uh they thought it'd be a good good way to help pay for school and have a job and and, and stuff like that so yeah it's it really it's it it just changing and opening my mind to other people's perspectives and stuff so you must really build up a lot of trust in a platoon to, to be able to share those kinds of conversations that could be really difficult otherwise, it sounds like. Or do you, is it kind of like a family relationship or what? Is it like Labrie? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not like Labrie, but it is, it, it, in, in a way it's closer than Labrie. Um, so imagine you're in, a, you're in a box and you're locked in... Or even better, you're, you're locked in a car for three weeks with the same five people. Mm. You know that's 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 you're gonna grow those you're gonna grow together with those five people. Um, yeah. So that's 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 basically what it is. You, you're just you're stuck out in the field for weeks at a time um, in the same vehicles, doing the same things. Like you, you haven't seen your family, you haven't talked to your family in in weeks. Uh, and you're 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 doing, you know, more more difficult things than you, you normally would. Um, so yeah, it, that that definitely helps uh, grow relationships. Uh, it was weird with me because I was the boss. So right, I uh, right. so it was a weird relationship of me, and my crew. So on my vehicle, we 
I got really close to them, those individuals. Um, and then the other ones, I was still like the boss. So it was, it was weird, like having that that dichotomy of of uh, being close to some of my soldiers and then not close to others. Um, and they, they they do describe it like a family. Um, there's like the and depending on like officers usually I, I don't know why it's it's this way but officers will describe the officer as the father and the platoon sergeant as the mom you know and uh but the the opposite is true with the the ncos the ncos say mm. the we're the we're the, the mother and the the, the ncos is the father um so some sort of form of sexism going on there i think but uh yeah it's uh we're, we're supposed to be almost like the parents and we each have our own role so like the ultimate authority lies with the officer um, after an ideal relationship, gaining good wisdom from the experience of the platoon sergeant, uh, going down to, um, I was in a, I was, a, I was in a scout platoon. So, um, we had two sections. So, uh, so we'd go down to the section leaders, um, and they would, uh, help administer it down to the teams. So if that makes sense, so it's, mm. it's very hierarchical. Um, and, uh, so I'd be, I was close to my crew, I was really close to my platoon sergeant, and then really, and then less close, but still close to the section leaders, and then all the way down, it became less and less close. Um, so it was like, it was a weird family mixed with like a, like a corporation, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, it was a little weird. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a different experience. So, um... My project is all about just asking people to reflect on their encounters with other cultures. And you had a very particular type of encounter mm -hmm. full of, you know, power. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm curious if you can talk about what impact the cultures you went into had on you. So it's um, hmm. so we we had uh, like like foreign cultures or or just the military culture or like what foreign cultures okay um, so we um, I mean I don't even know if you would say that you had contacts you know I don't know <laughs> I know people have different experiences um, so we um, uh, we ended up going to India for um, like a training exercise. Um, uh, so yeah, I've been to India uh, with the squadron. I went to India. I went to Japan. I've been to Korea. Um, so we we were with U U.S. Army Pacific. So we were under Pacific Command, where we'd at any one time like a lot of units are over there training with Asian militaries, trying to build trust relationships in case something ever happened in the Pacific. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I um, so learned about different cultures in my own country, and then end up going overseas to learn about other other people's cultures. Um, the India was probably the most unique. Um, I was we were training with a Gurkha unit, and uh, the so the all the soldiers are Nepalese. They speak Nepali. Um, and uh, 
all the officers are Indian. They speak Hindi. So it's like, it was almost like a colonial, um, like last vestige of colonialism, but they're not, like they're not a colony of, you know, Nepal is not a colony of India, but the, the soldiers come from Nepal. Um, so it was really interesting watching. Um, so for me, like my, my soldiers, like even though they're, they're my soldiers, they're still kind of, they almost felt like my, my little brothers or, or even my children sometimes, you know? Um, but, uh, like to them, it was so distant. Um, so like, uh, um, it's, it has a very distant culture between like those in charge and those, um, like serving. So, you know, even to the point where they, they can understand each other without translators sometimes. Um, so that that was really, that was really strange. Like I would be talking to, like the Gurkha soldiers and like having a good conversation. Um, we all had, they, they all had broken English so we could mostly understand each other. Um, and then they found out I was an officer and they'd get really scared. Like, no, no, like it's okay. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hit you or anything, you know? I, I, uh, so it, it was interesting seeing like, so in America it's very, it's more egalitarian and more, um, I'd also say like we, we were trained to serve our soldiers. So like we're, um, we're the last to eat. We're the, we're, we get the least amount of sleep or we're supposed to anyway. Um, we, uh, like it, it's, they, they really pushed like servant leadership. Mm. Um, and I didn't quite see that in the, in the Indian army just cause it, it's such a different culture. Um, where, yeah, they, like there's a, officers mess still so like officer re- officers were eating really good food in this this like really beautiful building it was like a really cool experience for us because we never experienced anything like that uh you know like really fancy meals like we're being served by soldiers like while we're sitting at this nice table almost like like in a manor almost like a manor house yeah in northern india you know yeah. and uh being served by soldiers and um and then you know like seeing where they were living, like the Nepalese soldiers seeing where they were living and like these squalid huts, you know, eating terrible food, you know? And, uh, like that was, that was really eye opening as well. Um, just like, I am thankful for parts of American culture and I'm thankful that our military, like my experience wasn't like that. Um, I like to take a jab at the Navy. Um, like Navy, (laughs) Naval culture is actually kind of like that. Um, that's, that's one of our like, uh, like there's yeah. officers mess and like sailors serve the officers on the ship and yeah. like the officers eat first in the Navy. Yeah. So like, I have to, have to put a jab at, at the Navy there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, yeah, I think that's, that, that was a big cultural impact on me. I was actually very thankful uh, to be an American. Um, well now, now this begs the question, uh, what was it that pushed you out of the military? Cause you've painted a fairly, yeah. um, Utopian and yeah. uh, egalitarian <laughs> yeah, picture. Yeah, I probably too much. Um, there, there are a lot of. I, I think I tend toward that a little bit because um, most people get out like are so anti army. Um, they blame the army for um, for why they got out. They blame the army for its own problems, which the army is a very flawed place um, in w- ways that. I, I wouldn't have thought. Um, so I don't want to be that person, I think. Of course, um, of course. So I think it, the Army is what it is. Um, it's a, 
and I'm I'm glad it is what it is. Like it's a it's a culture for a specific type of person. Um and I'm just I'm just not that person. So like I um I learned we, they they made us take this this is kind of a good example. Uh they made us take the Myers-Briggs personality test. Oh, that's great. I and, love uh, that. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So you you know, you figure out who you're working with and like what's best and um it also comes along with a uh, um uh, with the uh, like, the types of careers you should you should do, you know, um, yeah. and uh, and the ones you shouldn't do, and so I my my Myers Briggs is a INFP. Okay, and, and well, that's the, me. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's probably why we like the Canterbury Tales together. Uh, <laughs> and uh, oh my gosh, yeah, that and it's not the type. The, of yeah, the yeah, yeah, the like, top like thing you shouldn't do is be an army officer, like. That, that was pretty. That was a pretty funny moment. It was like you, know, you should be a creative writer. You should be, you know, a teacher, or a professor, or something like. Like top ones you shouldn't do is like lawyer, doctor, military officer. Um, it's like maybe, you know, maybe there isn't. Um, this one time, I um, it was toward the end of my platoon leader time, and uh, uh, we had a new commander, um, uh, and he called me into his office after like observing us for a month and. Um, I, I, like uh, he and he, he gave me a it's called a negative counseling form like this and mm. it, it comes it goes into your uh, your your record so I have this negative counseling form my record on saying that I was too nice to my soldiers oh my god like, <laughs> what what <irony. laughs> yeah I don't know I, so I, I honestly I'll blame myself why I got out is I, I I just have the wrong personality for it um, there's. Um, I, I became really good friends with this guy named Mac. Um, he's this old, like old special forces NCO from Vietnam that kind of went crazy. He got hurt, and then he became a um, like a transportation um, NCO. And then he he got out for like punching his commander. He like got kicked out, and then he became a truck driver. And then like in this weird roundabout way, uh, became in charge of uh, like all. Um, truck shipments and rail shipments for the army base up in Alaska. Um, so, I mean, I, uh, I was in charge of, I think it was like 19 railheads. So I, I moved, um, I helped move, uh, vehicles and materials by rail, um, south, uh, mm. through, through Alaska. Um, so me and him worked a lot together. So me and this disgruntled, uh, um, really disgruntled old NCO who just like hated officers like and I'm like the this <laughs> cheery nice yeah <laughs> um, but yeah we, we formed a friendship it was, it was interesting and uh, but he, he described it to me like because he he noticed like I was just I'm, I'm just too nice like instead of giving orders I give suggestions you know and like you know if you want to like and he's like sir they want to be led you know like like you need to be mean like you need to be angry so like that's I see the I see the nest like the necessity of that now uh, and looking back like the the officers I respected the most were the ones who were more firm mm. who gave more like what were either I was talking about form and freedom like freedom of choice versus like the limitations placed on us as like human beings uh, like military is very much more form and it needs to be more form and I see why um, I, like we we all joined to do something difficult we all joined to do something. Um, that would make us stronger, better, and we, we and yeah, we knew that was we knew that was gonna be hard. So, 
like we you need to inspire that 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 form of leadership of like like not being a jerk but like at least pushing the expectations pushing the the standards so that they they will improve and that they do get that experience of oh i was led well because they they had high expectations of me um and i i don't think i was uh i was i was just almost too understanding of their situations of it was like okay i like i see where you're at like i want you guys to do better but like I feel bad to make you guys like get out of your comfort zone. So like I'm just not that that level of person. I, I in fact I was more willing I help them more like in like real world things. Like I, I force them to like write papers for me and like <laughs> like improve their 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 language skills, improve their writing skills, improve their like more their like teacher. Yeah, I, I improved more their educational skills than their soldiering <laughs> skills, which maybe will serve them in their lives sometime, but not really for the army. So yeah, I think in many ways I just am not the fit for a an army officer. I'm just curious, what was the recommended type from Myers Briggs for the army, I'm, or the ideal type? Do so, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I've just off the top of my head. Um, and I, one of my best friends, his name is Dave. He is this type, and he's like the perfect. He's an infantry officer right now. He's, um, I think, he's, yeah, he's currently testing to go into Ranger Regiment as a platoon leader. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he's a, a, a ENTJ. ENTJ. Yeah, which yeah. I would totally see. So like for officers, I'd say like ENTJ, and then for like NCOs, probably like um, I'd probably say an ESTJ. Mm-hmm. We're like, uh, so like the officers being more intuitive, having to formulate plans kind of out of like abstract thought. And then the NCOs and the soldiers having to take those, those abstract ideas and put them into like practical practice. I could totally see like those two types being really, really yeah. good into the military. Yeah. So it's the exact opposite of, of me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I have just two more topics that i want to explore um and still the last question will be good travel story but um you mentioned at the lunch table discussion that you worked for a conservative think tank i think (laughs) which is something that's you know people hear about in the news and i i just have to ask about that experience if you can share what that was like and then also i don't know how much you want to go into your own changes but I'm excited by the possibility of change, not necessarily the direction that you went in, mm-hmm. which you know I'm biased. That's kind of the direction I moved mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not about like putting that on display. Okay. I want to just know about how people change. You okay. know. So what what was that like? Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you how I've changed because I, I my story kind of brings hope to myself. I, I know it sounds weird, but it brings hope to like if I could change, like any any of these people out there could change. Um, so yeah, so I grew up in a very conservative household, um, and uh, I was I was kind of a weird kid. I like uh, I grew up. Um, I, I was I was always pretty pretty intelligent. So um, like I learned how to read on these old history, like my old my mom's old history textbooks. Wow. From like <laughs> that's like how I learned how to read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was always really interested in um, like political theory uh, growing up, and I I found my outlet 
unfortunately, in like Fox News. So like, they I I was a ten year old watching Bill O'Reilly every night, um, and it really turned me really conservative. Obviously, you know it's brainwashing, basically it's heady um, stuff yeah. for a child. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, the like I I always followed the elections really um, intensely. Um, I knew. Um, like I knew all the poll numbers. This is in 2000 for George Bush versus Gore. Like mm-hmm. I knew what was going on. And then I, I followed, you know, when, when it was basically a tie, you know, Bush lost the popular vote, but um, it looked like he was going to win uh, Florida. Um, and uh, like I, I watched the, the Supreme Court, like like the news, watching the Supreme Court like every day. Um, it was kind of like the, the beginning of that 24-hour news cycle. I mean, I think it started a couple of years ago, especially with like Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton and stuff. But uh, like that, that also kind of heightened it. And uh, yeah, so I, I was watching. Yeah, I just I, I was really interested in, in politics. Um, and then uh, yeah, so that that interest continued to grow. Um, in in high school, I, uh, I was in as a, as a sophomore. I was in AP government. Um, and I'd always, like, had these thoughts of, like, I wonder what, like, how these governments formed, you know? Um, like, even, like, I knew how our government formed, but, like, what, what's that process look like? And I realized, like, um, there are, like, philosophers who have, like, asked those questions. And uh, one of the first readings we did was um, John Locke's second treatise, and which is exactly what he's talking about, is, like, um, yeah, in the state of nature, like, where do these governments come up and that was just like mind-blowing to me i really like i I really started reading a lot of john locke um and through that i really started reading a lot of thomas jefferson um i I became um slowly i I became like a really strong libertarian from that um so like going from just like fox news propaganda like george bush is the most amazing person ever you know to like realizing like oh he's making a lot of mistakes from my libertarian perspective um so continued. So from there, I went to um, uh, I went to Colorado Christian University, uh, and uh, um, Barack Obama just won had won the election the year before in two thousand eight, and uh, um, I, I I remember like during that election, just thinking like how it felt like the establishment was. Um, controlling the outcomes like for for both parties really i mean barack obama was a very unique person um like fairly inexperienced not really establishment but it definitely you could see there's still uh which i i don't believe the same more but there were in my mind there's like still that establishment like moving forward with him and then like the republican establishment moving forward with mccain um like it was his turn basically you know um and uh so yeah so obama won i I went to ccu which is i think it was ranked like third most conservative university in (laughs) in the country um it's like behind like hillsdale and patrick henry or something um and i and there it's competing with it right now because uh like it's gotten way worse than even when i got there it's uh they, they they've like Sorry, this is a tangent. This, I'm sorry. That's this okay. is a tangent. That's okay. uh, like they, they've, they complain about secular universities firing conservatives, 
and then they fire liberal professors from their own like it doesn't make any sense it's it's hypocrisy anyway um so part of ccu is um this think tank called the concert or the the centennial institute um so i was i didn't work for them i volunteered for them um but i was like uh one of their bigger volunteers while i was while i was at school um and so a lot of what we did was um we could set up speaking engagements for uh, major Republican figures. And then uh, the big thing was every summer that we do the, the Western Conservative Summit. And uh, it was, I think it was, I think it is the largest now. Like, the, or one, it's one of the largest um, conservative political um, um, summits in, in like west of the Mississippi. So it, uh, it was a big, it's a, it's a big thing for the Western states, basically. Uh, like all the... All, a lot of the the presidential nominees would would uh, would come through, and this was before um, the Romney Obama election. So a lot of like the Republican nominees there uh, would uh, would go through. And on, we were also big into like the uh, the governational elections. Uh, so worked a lot with uh, like just ca- Republican candidates for the Colorado governor race, Republican candidates for Congress and and Senate, and then also like presidential um candidates and then yeah so through that like i've met like john bolton i've met um i don't know their their names are escaping me right now um got old governor from minnesota what is his name not saint santorum was from i met santorum too but he's from pennsylvania uh <laughs> uh they're already starting to i'm already starting to lose them <laughs> okay. um but like I've met a lot of politicians, um, and I met a lot of aspiring politicians, and um, kind of like the military, I realized like I'm the exact opposite of what a politician is, or even like what a person who helps politicians is. It's uh, um, there are very few people who can do it morally, in my opinion. Um, I think I honestly think because um, I've I've been able to meet. I, I was able to meet George W. Bush um, in person. Um, he seemed like a pretty genuine guy. So I'd say somehow, like, I think he was really lucky becoming president in many ways and governor of Texas and stuff. So I think that luck is what carried him. So I think he's actually a very genuine person. I think I've never met Obama, but I've, I've, I want to because I think just seeing him, I think he's a very genuine person. Um uh, there are very there are they're out there like there are genuine politicians out there who are trying to do the right thing and trying not to compromise as much as as is necessary but then there are just so many like the vast majority i met were just so like for lack of a better word like corrupt individuals like willing to sell themselves sell their identities for power at any cost um i just didn't i didn't like the taste in my mouth um like that that I got from them, they it just, yeah, it was it was, it really made me turn against politics as a whole. Just that that experience, and then from that, I uh, continued to study, continue to read, um, and just I, I and 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 listen to the other side. So uh, when I when I joined the military, most most people in the military are conservative, very very conservative, and. Uh, just to be devil's advocate, kind of like that individual thing, I'd start arguing the other side. Um, yeah, I, I want to h- highlight that. Yeah. What 
what was the call to listen to the other side? I mean, that sounds like a really hard thing to do for conservative. Yeah, it's. Um, I think I think it's my. For yeah, for one thing, I I remember watching, like for the eight years as Bush was president, I would get so angry at everyone blaming Bush for everything, and then. I realized all of my friends, my family, were doing the same thing to Obama. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I was so mad people did that to Bush. So I was trying to be honest. And I think that's kind of what started the process. And then it started, it, it ended with, so, like, I want them to understand me. I need to learn to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized, like, they weren't, they didn't hate America. They didn't, in fact, most of them like love America you know like it's they, they're trying they, we just have different ways of seeing where the country should go we both want good for the country um, and I and through that I've realized like I'm more and more siding with the liberal side more and more like I, it intellectually and rationally it makes more sense um, even experientially it makes more sense sometimes uh, and I'm, I'm not a very liberal Democrat, but I, I would consider myself a Democrat now um, after like seeing both sides and logically thinking through many of the issues. I've, I've become more and more liberal as, I've, as, as, I, as that process has happened. A lot of that has come from like having minorities in my platoon um, and just coming across like different cultures and um, just a lot of like poorly thought conservative arguments for things um so yeah i uh yeah so that's that's kind of been the process and it, it and i don't think it matters if you're like a conservative like what what where your decision is gonna lie like what like i don't think that's that's the point i think the point is like we need to sit down and do that process that difficult process of like i might be wrong like i think we should all have that in our mind. Um, one, one of the things I did while I was in the army, I, I read through Plato, um, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great statement. <laughs> I uh, just yeah, I, I, I read. I had a lot of time on my hands in, in Alaska. I wasn't married at the time, and like, and I, I got rid of my internet. I got rid of my uh, my television, and I just started reading. Um, and that, that was one of the things I read. I read the complete works of Plato and. Socrates, especially like in the early Platonic dialogues, is a very humble person, and uh, you know he he he's questioning everything. He's questioning all of his beliefs. He's questioning everyone else's beliefs, and it, I think that's that's basically what it is. I think we all need to um, evaluate our own positions. We need and we need to have that humility that says, "I'm only human." Like even if I'm right, I'm still going to be wrong on some areas. So like, always question what you believe and why you believe it. Um, and I, I think I found a lot of why I was believing the conservative ideal was from poorly formed arguments I'd learned when I was 10 watching the O'Reilly factor, you know? Um, and, and yeah, I, uh, just, I started questioning my beliefs and then that, um, that came out. Um, so I think, I think our country could do with some humility on both sides. Of the aisle, um, and the humility to listen to other people, and then the humility to question, question our own arguments and our own thoughts and our own ideas. 
So my last question. Thank you so much yeah, yeah, for sharing yeah. so much. Yeah, I, hope it wasn't boring. Uh-huh. Not, not in the least. Okay. <laughs> I find this riveting. This okay. is exactly what I'm always seeking. Okay. Um, so it sounds so trite after everything you said. <laughs> can you tell me a travel story? Yeah, sure. Um, I was thinking about which one to do. Um, and uh, yeah, so I this... This almost has nothing to do with what we just talked about. Is that okay? That's great. Um, yeah, so my, so this friend named Josh, and he is um, the most extroverted person I've ever met. So he's, he's uh, like, if there's a room of people, he will literally talk to every single person for maybe like 30 seconds. He also, I think he also has like slight ADD, um, and he, which is weird because he's a, he was a helicopter pilot in the army. So like, you think if anyone should not have ADD, it's like a helicopter pilot. Um, yeah, he um, kind of give you a taste of his his personality. He's very uh, um, like he. So he, he went to West Point. It, it, just a couple stories, just to give you some background of like what who I'm doing this with. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, he went to West Point for. Uh, you can take like a gap after your sophomore year at West Point. So he, he took a gap year and uh, he became. Uh, he just he like just moved to Nepal. Like, like that's just who he is. Like he, um, and then he also moved to Ukraine. So he moved to Nepal for a little bit, and they moved to Ukraine. Like, yeah. Um, the, can you set up an interview? Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear his story. Yeah, he's currently like in Fort Bragg, like learning Russian, doing something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll tell him about you. And yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll tell you where he's at. Um, he would be much more interesting than I than I am. Uh, but uh, yeah, he. So he. This one time we were, um, and this isn't the story, but just another like his personality. He's very like, I I'm gonna just do it and think about it later, right? So we were we were um, kayaking down the Chena River in uh, in Alaska, and uh, we came up on a log jam, and the rest of us like got out like onto the log jam, took our kayak, put it back in the water, got back in our kayak, and started going. But he got out, put his kayak on top of the log jam and then yelled out, I'm a pilot. And then like, uh, pushed himself down. So he'd ride down the log jam and then like capsized his kayak. Like this is, <laughs> this is who, who Josh is. Um, so he had, a, right, so to begin the story. So he, he started, um, he became, he, he began this, uh, uh, he, he met this girl on eHarmony uh, and she was a, Great start to the story. <laughs> and, he, um, and she was a park ranger in uh, Glacier uh, Glacier Park, Gla- yeah. Glacier National Park in in, uh, in southern Alaska. So we're so right, they're they're about eight hundred miles apart, you know. But like, um, so he, they they email like three times, and then suddenly he's like flying down to Glacier National Park to like go on like a four day date with this girl. Um, and, uh, so they come back, like, this is kind of how the relationship goes. Like they go on these like weird, huge adventures, you know, out in the Alaskan wilderness. And, um, so they, they, they dated and, um, so slowly like Josh, like approached me, um, in the, what year is this? Sorry. 2016. So the fall of 2015, um, and uh, he's like, I'm thinking, you know, I, like the, we're gonna, we're probably gonna have a four day over, a four day weekend over, um, 
Valentine's Day, like I want to surprise Erica somehow, and I'm gonna think of like, will you help me surprise Erica? And I'm like, sure, like, <laughs> like kind of terrified, like I don't know what what this is gonna entail, um, but sure, you know, like let's do it. Like thinking like Josh, Josh comes up with crazy plans all the time that never happen. This is this one's not gonna happen either. Um, so we we come back um, in the spring. Usually we have like a long. Like uh, like two weeks off, or like we we can take like two weeks of leave usually for mm-hmm. Christmas. Um, so I took two weeks of leave. I come back in January, and uh, Josh still has this this plan. You know, he's like, we're, I need I want to surprise Erica. Um, and I'm thinking about uh, I'm thinking about asking her to marry me. Like again, very last minute. Like maybe you know, maybe maybe not. You know, and uh, <laughs> so he, um. He, he, he gives me a call, it's like early early on a Saturday morning, and he's like, get up, you're going to snow machine classes with me. <laughs> so like, I, I like wake up, and like, he, he's like outside my door, and like, we, we go to like snow machine classes, and um, the last part, like neither of us have been on, well snow machine, most people call it a snowmobile, sorry. Okay, I thought yeah. you meant like uh, creating snow. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's what most, <laughs> so like, Alaska's okay. called a snow machine, I'm sorry. Gotcha. Um, they're very yeah, strong about that. Like, it's not a snowmobile. It's gotcha. a snow machine. Like, everyone else is wrong. Anyway, sorry. It's, it's, so it's and, the vehicle you drive yeah, on. Yeah, it's, snow. It, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a, uh, for people who don't know, it's a, um, it's a tracked vehicle with, like, skis on the front, and then you can go up to, like, 60, I mean, some can go, up, like, over, like, close to 100 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. people go crazy <laughs> on those things. Anyway, so, the first time we're, we've ever been on a snow machine, and uh, we... We just do like a couple laps around like the park on on post. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was an army program that we we had to take this class to like rent a snow machine, basically. So, so we do that. We're like, yeah, we're I think we're I think we're good to go. And uh, we so then we go to the local brewery and have a couple drinks and plan out this Arctic snow machine surprise for Erica. So you know, on the back of a napkin, we drew <laughs> we drew this uh, this map of. Uh, Yukon Charlie National Park, which is one of the largest national parks in the country. Um, it's the junction of the Yukon River and the the Charlie, or yeah, you, yeah, and the Charlie River. So that's Yukon Charlie National Park. And uh, in a couple weeks, um, this race called the Yukon Quest, which is the longest, most dangerous um, dog race in the world, is going to happen. It, it, it occurs between Fairbanks and Whitehorse Yukon. Um, and that year, they're going to go from Fairbanks to Whitehorse. And uh, so there's going to be like a path lined out, and Erica, as a park ranger, is having to um, work somewhere out in somewhere out in uh, Yukon Charlie National Park. We knew she was going to be, <laughs> we knew she was going to be there, yeah. probably on the trail somewhere. Oh my God. Uh, uh, like, yeah. So we, like, um, like we're gonna go. We're gonna follow the trail after after all the dog rate like dog racers are gone like we're gonna follow the trail we're gonna go find her on our four-day weekend um (laughs) so we um uh so we drive um so anyway sorry got back up so uh we we start driving at uh like 2 2 a.m we had um rented one from the army the army base it was like a single snow machine then we borrowed one from uh from one of Josh's friends, and we were having trouble. Well, one, it had no reverse, and two, we were having trouble starting it. We're like, oh, what, you know, what, what could go wrong, right? Um, 
So we're like we we get up on trailer, and we drive my Jeep, um, and we drive like 150 miles to this tiny, like through the White Mountains on the like on ice, like through this tiny town of Circle. Um, that I thought I thought if I was for some reason in my mind I was more nervous about the drive. <laughs> Probably because I knew what I was doing in the drive, yeah. like to circle, than I was about the snow machine trip. Like after, like where we were going. So we drive to Circle, which is like the one of one of the towns on the Yukon River. It's one of the only, I mean, not one of the only, but uh, like where we were going, where we thought she might be. It was like the closest town we could get to. Uh, for uh, so we drive there, and then um, first like. Circle is just like a single lane town with like there's a couple like log cabins and like a gas station like that that's Circle Alaska and uh like we we stop by and we we fill up we fill up my Jeep for gas and then we uh we just make sure like everything's topped off um cuz we we had uh, several we didn't know how long we were going to be out there so we had several gas cans and oil we had um oil for for the snow machines and like food and survival gear and uh like i brought my uh my my magnum 12 gauge for wild animals like we were, you know we didn't yeah. know like what was going to be out there um so we thought we were really well prepared and uh, <laughs> we had like our, our like a sled to pull behind one of the snow machines like we we thought we were ready so we we stop. We stop by the, the the gas station and like we walk in and like there's all this paraphernalia of like there's like Nazi symbols and like like uh, like there's the National Park Service like their their badges and there's like a crosshairs on it like we hate the National Park Service like so let's not tell them that he's about yeah. to propose to a National Park Ranger and because like, I have to leave my Jeep here for at least four days you know and. Uh, so the sun finally starts going up, and just like if you don't know, um, Alaska has very wide-ranging, um, like sun sunrise sunset. So it's mm. m- like middle or middle to end of winter. We maybe have four hours of daylight at wow. this point. So like, so it's it's wow. probably like ten thirty. The sun's starting to come up, um, and uh, yeah. So we we. I try. We we get out of my jeep and we try to start the the borrowed snow machine, and uh, the key doesn't work. So then I try pulling the the pull start, and as I I pull it back all the way till it's it's all the way extended and it snaps. Oh my god! So then <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like negative twenty out, you know, Fahrenheit, negative twenty Fahrenheit out. So it's really cold. So like, well, I don't know why I thought the snow machine would start with me pulling it that cold. So, but then, so then I try. There's an emergency on the side. So you like wrap a cord around. Um, it, it it just looks like a gearbox almost, and you just try to like keep wrapping it, and, and it can start in like an emergency situation. And I'm just, I don't yeah. know why I'm trying it because like it's too cold to yeah. to really start, and that only works if it's already started usually, and like you're in an emergency. Like you shouldn't ever like start a trip. Like right. we're using the the emergency <laughs> <laughs> pole. So we finally like resign ourselves. Like we only have one snow machine. It's a single rider snow machine. So like, luckily that one started. The the one we rented. Um, and we like get the the sled packed up and we get 
we get um, loaded on like way too personally because it's a two of us are like <laughs> holding on. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I'm a much more cautious person. If you can't tell through this interview, and Josh not cautious at all, so we we start. He starts driving, um, and literally, like we were within, like you could, we were, we 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 didn't even make it to the river. Like, like we didn't make it to the river. You could see a circle, and we'd flip the snow machine. So like we'd been on for maybe thirty seconds, and uh, uh, like oh man like this is gonna be way harder than we thought because we, we were thinking like we had some idea that she might be at this cabin that was like 60 miles down the river like going 15 miles an hour which was like slower than we thought we were actually gonna go like we'll get there in four hours you know yeah, like yeah, yeah. not a big deal you know yeah. and then it suddenly dawned on me like we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> so we put the we put the stuff in the sled and like we keep going and we we make it to the river and we flip again, <laughs> keep doing that and like oh gosh. I'm like like it, at, when you say flip is it like this or like this uh, or on the side going, okay go on the side yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's just a really top heavy snow machine turned yeah. out but yeah. um, the other thing um, I had never realized like I'd seen it on the China in Fairbanks and I for some reason I thought it was just gonna be like a smooth. Like river, you know, yeah, but yeah. that's not how rivers freeze, you know, because there's still water running underneath. So it, and as it reaches the really cold air, it starts, it builds up ice. So it's, it's called the ice fields or uh, like jumble ice. Um, so there's a giant ice boulders like all the way down the river. So we're, we're having to go over, so we're going maybe one, two miles an hour, like over these big boulders, you know. So instead of going 15, four hours, like, <laughs> And remember, we have a four-hour gap of, like, yeah. sunlight before it gets pitch black. Right. Um, so we, yeah, we, we, can, we just kept flipping. We kept flipping, like, all, like, um, and, like, all our survival gear was, like, um, so luckily I'd had the foresight to, like, separate our food from everything else. So, like, our food was okay, luckily, but, like, my snowshoes had like punctured one of the oil cans and the gas cans. So we had just had like this frozen oil, frozen yeah. gasoline oil, like mixture in the bottom of our like covering everything else. Like oh, geez. it just, yeah, it was just it was horrible. And uh, like we we've like we finally started getting like a rhythm going. Like we started learning how to actually snow machine and what we we're slowly what we were doing and we, we got in a rhythm and for a couple miles like we we had it flipped and uh we're like getting ready to go up onto an island um which has been a pretty steep hill so like i got off for him to do it by himself and uh like i took turned back and like our sled's completely empty like there's nothing in it <laughs> which is probably why we weren't flipping but uh so yeah so we had to turn around and the sun's going down at this point and we only made it like 20 miles i think um and uh we turned around and like we found all our stuff and like i'm like josh like i don't know like i don't know what what we're gonna do um like i think i think we we need to turn back for the night and then start again tomorrow like right before daybreak mm. um and try to get a head start and like just kind of like real gruffly like he just like like oh we gotta go back because he you know he's really nervous he's about to propose to his girlfriend you right, know right um so he's like really it was a really tense moment, and we, so 
So he kind of like gunned it back, and then we were up on a, we were coming up on a slope, and we like did do the full flip. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> and then like we, like I was trapped. So luckily, like one of us had been trapped almost every time we'd flip, but not the other one. So like so, miraculously, like someone was there to like lift. I, if both of us were trapped, I don't know what we would have done, but. uh so like I was trapped, so Josh lifts up the, the snow machine off off of me, and then we both just like burst into tears, like <laughs> <laughs> like middle of nowhere, it's cold, <laughs> like we just failed, you know. Like, <laughs> um, so luckily, um, at that point, it's like Ryan, you just you just drive. Like I just want to think about things, and so I slowly drove back, and. Uh, we spent the night in my Jeep. Luckily, it hadn't been vandalized by the the Nazis in the <laughs> in the the gas station. And uh, like, we woke up and we like were like like we got to try this again. So then we we got back on on the snow machine and we we drove back out. And luckily, all the all the the um, lessons we'd learned the night before or the day before. Like we, we, we took to heart. We only flipped maybe four times or the day before we'd flip like 25, yeah. 30 times, something like that. And, uh, yeah, so we made it to, um, this point called uh, 40 mile ca- uh, cabin and, uh, it was about 40 miles from, from circle. And, uh, we're like there were like general areas that we thought they might be in. This was one of them. So we, we drove up to the cabin and we, we looked and we looked in there and we, we found our stuff. So like we, we like found where they were staying, but they weren't there. Um, so we like hid the snow machine, um, and then we realized like we don't know how long they're gonna be. Like we we could be here for hours by ourselves. And he's like really restless, so we're like we well we need to do we need to do something manly. So we also we just started like chopping wood. There's like a whole <laughs> bunch of like logs there. We just grabbed axes and started chopping wood, um, and like filled the wood box. And then like we we chopped all the wood around there. We're like I don't know, like what are we gonna do now? And, like, it's just like a really restless moment, and uh, then like we heard snow machines coming up, um, so we're like, so we're like, I pushed him in the in the house, and he's like, make sure you take pictures. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll take pictures, and uh, like they pull up, um, and uh, they'd like notice fresh tracks, so they looked a little confused, and then like out walks uh, Josh, and then um, yeah, I was like, I was taking pictures, and like he asked her to marry him, and yeah, she said yes, and. Uh, it was really cool. There's a professional. Um, there's actually a professional photographer who'd been, uh, yeah, had been taking pictures of the the race. Was with them. Um, so he they got like professional photographer oh pictures oh for gosh. their like actual engagement photo in the middle of Yukon <laughs> Charlie National Park, like on Valentine's Day. And it was turned out really really well. Um, but um, that's probably like the closest I've come to dying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so that's that's my travel story thank you so much ryan for your candor and for being such a good storyteller for everyone listening i'd like to encourage you to donate to my brother's foundation weston's fund When he and his wife lost their son to miscarriage, they decided to bless others by raising money that covers families' medical costs for miscarriages. 
It's very simple. Just go to westonsfund.org. That's W-E-S-T-I-N-S-F-U-N-D dot O-R-G. Weston's Fund with an I. Thank you to Dana Boulay for her music. And thank you for listening. <laughs>